welcome to the Navit Gaming Podcast, where it is our mission to explore the business and future of video games. We bring together the industry's brightest builders, investors, and thinkers to keep a pulse on current events, dissect emerging trends and games, share lessons learned, and have a great time. This podcast is also part of Novik's growing ecosystem, which ranges from free and premium research to consulting and advisory services. For more information, visit www.novik.co. Now, let's jump into the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Novik Roundtable. I'm your host, Devin Becker, and today I am joined by Aaron Bush, a co-founder of Novik, who you may have seen a million times here on the show. Anil Dasgupta, pardon me if I pronounced that incorrectly, the, the co-CEO of First Light Studios, and Dave Elton, the president of Blue Line Studios. And uh, how are you guys doing not being at GDC here? Yeah, we're the we're the lame group <laughs> this week. But I think our squad here is also pretty cool, and this is really the place to be, and everyone at GDC should be jealous. I feel like we almost need t-shirts or something Absolutely. bragging about that after that. <laughs> <laughs> we do have some good uh, good topics today. Obviously, some stuff was announced at GDC as well. Uh, you know, a lot going on out there, a lot of going on in games in general. Uh, so we've got some cool news today. We are going to be talking about uh, Netflix has some game updates. There's going to be some multiple new studio openings from existing game studios. Uh, Amazon and Twitch having some layoffs, some, some not-so-fun news there. Uh, we've got some deep dives in strategic partnerships between IMX and Polygon, should be pretty interesting, and uh, new mobile app stores coming out. And then the big raise from CCP for $40 million for a Web3 game. So if you want to go ahead and kick things off here, Aaron? Yeah, so lots of good topics today. But we can we can start with Netflix, which can be a, a, a bit of a smaller update. So this past week, Netflix unveiled some new roadmap details regarding its gaming ambitions. So I, I thought it would be worthwhile to at least share where they are at with some of these numbers. So to date... Netflix has released 55 games, all of which are on mobile. Naturally, many of them revolve around Netflix IP at this point. Some of them are built on more traditional gaming IP, just being licensed for Netflix. Um, and others are just the more simple mini game-like games that you know they threw on initially just to pilot and kickstart what, what the gaming ambition on Netflix could look like. Um, however, this year, Netflix plans to release another 40 games and it has 70 additional games on top of that in development with party with partners. Plus, it has a, another 16 games in development at in-house studios. So I mean, you can you could do the math. That's what 146 new games in the pipeline in some shape or form, which is quite a lot. Um, and so, you know, I suppose a handful of these could already be established games that they'll just continue to license. But in large part. You know, these games will be new and exclusive to Netflix. And I don't think we need to, to fully reopen the, the Netflix can of worms here. We've chatted several times in the past about how, you know, uh, games on, on Netflix is, is still a pretty rough user experience that, you know, hopefully will change at some point with probably alongside regulatory changes with just how app stores operate. Um, and, you know, also just how there still are questions about like the true impact of games on a big video first platform and whether they can license or create standout hits from taking this type of shotgun approach, at least, at least so far. Um, so, uh, anyways, I just thought those numbers were interesting just <laughs> because it, it shows how big the, this pipeline is, at least how many shots they're, they're taking. 
Um, but, but Dave, I also did just want to hand the mic to you a bit because I know you have made a game for Netflix before. And so I'm curious if you have any reflections or reactions on what you see they're doing in this pipeline or even just how it's gone so far for them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, you know, working with Netflix was a, you know, in my opinion, was a, it was a great experience. Um, especially considering how fast they actually put everything together. Uh, like they went from initial announcement of, hey, we're going to do games to actually launching games within, you know, just a really just a few months. Um, and really what they're doing is very similar to any other major platform. Uh, you know, when Xbox came around, they were looking at how can we fill in all of the games to cover off all the genres to, to meet the expectations from a broad audience. And really where they are right now is in that second stage where they've kind of filled in most of the genres. And now they're looking at improving the quality for the offerings inside each of those genres. Um, and, you know, in, in today's, you know, today's marketplace or today's situation for developers, it becomes a little bit more of an interesting place for them. You know, the, the likelihood of being able to launch a new game in the free-to-play market becomes, you know, more and more challenging. And working with a subscription-based, um, you know, provider such as Netflix, you know, gives them an opportunity to make games with, uh, you know, with guaranteed revenue coming in. Um, so I think, you know, from the, from the developer's perspective, um, you know, working with partners like Netflix becomes... You know, more and more interesting as they're looking at how can they diversify their portfolio to make sure that they can, you know, survive as they, as, you know, as we all figure out how do we best market games in the in the current situation. What do you guys think about the shotgun approach that Netflix is taking? You know, I, I just said there's 146 games in the pipeline. Does that do you think that makes sense for them? Should they be more focused, or does this make sense just to throw stuff out there and see what works and learn from it? Any any thoughts on that? I like it for that reason. I think it's if you've got those kind of resources, mobile games are not that expensive to develop compared to a console title. You can go quickly if you need to make up the the space quickly. I mean, I think it's quite similar to what they did just when they made their own shows, right? They started with one or two, then they greened it loads. A lot of them you never heard of again, but some were developed into multi-hit IPs. I mean, if you can do it and you want to get there fast, like learning as fast as possible is the way to do it. Um, yeah, you could say maybe they should go for um, fewer ones of higher quality, but we don't know. They might all be high quality, but we know they could be working with great partners. When you're Netflix, I'm sure there's a lot of people that are willing to work with you. So um, I, I personally think uh, I quite like it. I think if you want to get there and you haven't been in games for a long time, you're going to have to do something dramatic to try and get there quickly. So their best strength I've always felt is the data approach of the company, right? Of using that to tune and get there fast. So you're going to collect a lot of data if you can interpret that and make smart decisions based on that. Um, I think it's exciting. I just wonder though if if they end up in a similar situation where Netflix is happy to greenlight a million different shows, but they're also happy to cancel them after one season. So what happens to games? Right? You're like, oh hey, sorry, your game's underperforming. You're canceled. Like that seems like that could be a risk for games. Maybe it can't. Yeah, it can be. Um, I mean, games are removed from subscription based platforms for sure. Um, but I think uh, you know the the point about data is is really the big thing for for Netflix right now. You know, and it was right. It is a data driven company, and uh, you know, being able to have that many games in front of them, um, they 
they really are able to learn really, really quickly what is the, the, the titles that work well for them. I mean, they, they have a slightly different uh, business model from a traditional free-to-play publisher. You know, they're not looking for revenue directly from the titles. They're looking at it as a retention play, you know, keep people inside the Netflix uh, ecosystem. Um, so, you know, they're going to be learning new things on their own. You know, they're not going to be necessarily looking for the exact same metrics that the you know traditional fee to play publishers looking for. They're looking for those things that help retain subscribers, um, and in some cases that's going to be you know just pure retention. In other cases, it's going to be you know is it a case of are they able to offer that new thing to keep people coming back? Um, you know, if if they're finding that people are only retaining inside games for know a very short period of time then you know they're they're the netflix model is you um you know you you just consume a whole bunch of media all at once in one ceiling and then you go find something new and something new comes in every week and so they may be looking at that exact same model in terms of games well speaking of uh, expanding out into to more games and things like that we've got uh, some new studio openings uh, you want to dig into that dave Absolutely. Um, so we've got three new studios that were announced uh, just over the last little bit. And um, in the most case, it's really about doubling down and supporting uh, the games that have um, you know, really made large marks inside the marketplace. So the first one, uh, Respawn has announced uh, Respawn Wisconsin. Um, and they're going to be part of the overall development team the live ops team and in supporting uh, apex legends development um, so they're going to be working directly with the existing studios which are in, uh, in la and in vancouver uh, and their main goal is to make sure that they are able to keep up with uh, a new um, season uh, every three months uh, dream games um, you know a company that uh, has seen fantastic um, growth through their one game of, uh, of Royal Match. Uh, they've opened up a new studio in London. Uh, as part of that, they're looking at growing their headcount from about 160 people to about 250 over the course of the coming year. Uh, they've brought on a couple of uh, ex-King executives to fill the roles of Chief Marketing Officer and Chief People Officer. Um, and so that, that London office is, is the main part of uh, supporting the global expansion uh, and mostly in support of Royal Match. And then finally, Big Fish uh, is announced a new studio in New Orleans. Um, so they're the home of uh, Evermerge and Gummy Drop. Um, and for them, I think what they're looking for isn't necessarily support for a very specific title, but they're looking at how can they bring in uh, a new talent pipeline. Um, so going into a region inside the States where they don't, hadn't previously had any, um, any studios. So, uh, and they've been supported by the New Orleans uh, Regional Economic Development group so they're they're looking at you know how can they bring in new talent or sorry new uh technology studios into the uh into the louisiana area i guess they're going to be scouting um, but i think they're, one of the main things is is <laughs> uh, yeah they can get uh, a lot of uh you know fresh out of college town right there <laughs> um i think the you know the the main story is you know uh, how are people able to continue to uh, support the games that are that have been doing re uh, really well and double down on those titles? Um, and uh, yeah, 
Do you know if uh, Dream Games, are they building a new game or two? Is that part of what's fueling the growth? They've just been so impressive. I'm curious what they're they're up to if they're doing something new. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, you know, the, a lot of the founders came from a studio that obviously just put out a few few uh, well-to-do games. Um, but at the same time, I mean, Royal Match is doing really, really well. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they had a few games that they're they're working on, but I, I would assume that they're going to take their time on them and make sure that their their KPIs are really Makes solid. Sense. Yeah, I almost wonder if it'll be like a, let's continue it in the Royal series the way there was like Saga games stuff like that. So we'll end up with a, some kind of Royal whatever game next from them. Royal merge. It's good to see more yeah. studios in the states. Uh, like you know, with a, a lot of people oftentimes trying to go to maybe some cheaper places to see one in, uh, you know, uh, Louisiana, one in Wisconsin. I think that's, I mean, as an American, I'm a little biased, but I think that's pretty cool. Um, but unfortunately, we also have the flip side of that, which is uh, some downscaling coming from Amazon and uh, Twitch. If you want to dig into that, Aaron? Uh, yeah, and I'll, I'll keep this brief. So the, the so-called year of efficiency, as Zuckerberg at Facebook has aptly put it, it continues to make the rounds this week affecting Amazon, which in turn led to 400 or so layoffs at Twitch. Um, and, you know, at this point, none of this is super surprising. It's just a different economic and operating environment where large companies who, you know, projected a certain level of growth that, you know, they saw over the past couple of years um, and hired for it, it didn't pan out that way. And so they, they have to make adjustments. And with a a company like Twitch in particular, which reportedly, you know, is still struggling with profitability and, you know, still fighting for its market share and, and all of that. And also has likely faced some pretty heavy post-COVID decelerations too. Um, and probably made some errors in how it was projecting its future. Uh, it's not surprising to see it trim its cost structure. So, you know, not great news, um, but um, news nonetheless. But the, the other thing I wanted to to pair it with was that at the same time this was announced, or roughly the same time, um, Twitch also swapped its CEO. So Emmett Shear, who was co-founder of Twitch and has been CEO for 16 years, uh, he just stepped aside and handed the reins to Dan Clancy, who served previously as president of Twitch. Now, I don't, I don't know enough about Dan to comment on how he'll manage the platform any similarly or differently from, from Emmett Shear, but what I will say is that even though Twitch probably has had room to improve in terms of how it's managed platform rules and dealt with um, uh, you know, creator support over the past few years, and it's found itself in a bunch of controversies over time, um, you know, despite all of that, it's actually held up, its market share has held up better than I thought that it would have if we look back over the past couple of years. On one hand, Facebook gaming and what they, they've done on the streaming front, that's pretty much just fizzled out. Um, that's not what they're focused on. And so that's one big potential competitor, especially in emerging markets, that uh, that isn't super relevant anymore. Um, and then YouTube, I also thought, would have gained even more market share by now, especially, especially because of, one, how it's just a hub for all things video. And two, they also started striking more exclusive deals with big creators as well. But for whatever reason, you know, maybe it's just in terms of how streaming is a priority or not for YouTube, or even just leadership changes, such as how, um, you know, ever since really Ryan Wyatt, who who was the head of YouTube gaming a year or two ago, when he left for Polygon Studios, he wasn't the first to leave. And there's sort of been a, a train of 
exiting um, after that. Maybe that's had some impact there too. But anyways, I'm I'm just curious to see how, um, you know, both kind of tightening the ship and having a new captain at the helm, what that could mean for for Twitch going forward, whether they'll be able to, you know, maintain their share or even grow it in, in surprising ways or, um, or if that won't turn out. I think we'll just have to wait and see how this new CEO um, navigates. But uh, anyways, just thought it was a pretty interesting moment and a kind of a reminder to keep an eye on what's going on at this company. It definitely sounds like they don't really have a whole lot of competition. Like everyone that's tried pretty much to to take a piece out of Twitch hasn't seemed to have lasted. So like they seem to be in an okay position as long as streaming's popular and if they've just kind of, you know, tightened things up, uh, you know, puts them in a good position, I think, to continue going forward. Yeah. But, yeah we'll see how, yeah, how the, the next year goes. The network effect has held up a lot better than I thought it would. I mean, we obviously saw with Mixer when, you know, Mixer was just throwing money left and right back in the day at, you know, streamers like Ninja and Shroud, um, how that didn't work. And, you know, Twitch just kept on being Twitch. But on the flip side, like who has better network effects than Twitch? YouTube, you know, like 2 billion people (laughs) in the world use YouTube. And so for Twitch to still be fighting, you know, as well as they are against YouTube, that's kind of the, the more impressive side of the equation for for me at least. But of course, you know, in the next two, three years, everything could change. So we'll see how it goes. Well, with, uh, with Ryan Wyatt going over to Polygon Studios and being uh, the master of partnerships, uh, he actually kind of brought that over to, to Polygon because I guess we've got uh, them announcing that they are partnered up with their arch rival, Immutable, which was a pretty exciting announcement at GDC. Yeah, let me take this one. So I think this is super interesting. Um, I don't think anyone saw this coming. Um, I'm quite deeply involved in Web3 and no one I knew uh, knew about this. It was really taken aback. So let's give some kind of context or some background here. So um, Immutable X, IMX, they're based in Australia. Unicorn, sort of darling of the Web3 space. They're really sort of their mission statement is to make it seamless to get into Web3. They have a kind of their own platform. They handle all that stuff in the background. You just go and make your own game and you plug in. They've got a game called Gods Unchained, which is kind of like a Hearthstone type clone, which is one of their kind of premier products that use their technology. Polygon Studios, the aforementioned, they have their own kind of, um, you know, side chain to Ethereum. They've been using that. They've really pushed themselves as being like the chain for, for supporting mass game adoption. And these two were in, you know, quite big rivalries around sort of 18 months ago when many of them would be approaching studios to try and get them to build on their chain. I have to say, personally, I was speaking to both. So it is quite interesting to see that there is actually now they're the same thing or are they the same thing? Well, not quite. So what they announced at the first day of GDC is that there's a strategic, a strategic partnership between the two. And essentially what IMX is going to do is they're going to be using some of Polygon's technology to do their own zero-knowledge uh, EVM rollout. Um, don't want to get kind of too technical in terms of the terms of what this means, but it allows you to kind of do blockchain transactions at a much faster speed um, to, to, to really kind of help for scalability. At the moment, using things on the blockchain. Sometimes it can be slow. Sometimes you have to pay expensive gas fees, as we call them, things like this. And if you're talking about having mainstream adoption and having hundreds of millions of people using it, there need to be solutions in place to handle this. And IMX has decided to use Polygon's um, 
you know, new service is going to be rolling out, which I think is very interesting because IMX themselves were also pretty big on their kind of Starkware roll-up and their own solutions to doing this. And that is a question I'd like to propose to the panel because I actually thought that was supposed to be one of their strengths. Um, that's kind of an interesting line on it. Um, so they're doing a strategic partnership. They're going to be using their technology to make their own zero-knowledge EVM. I think some other interesting things to look at is as a result of this announcement, the IMX token dropped 15%. That's quite substantial. Um, the Polygon token actually was largely unchanged. So perhaps you might have thought that that might have increased in value, but it kind of held firm. Um, the two had a strategic partnership. They said they'd been in discussions for over nine months that to begin with, it was a bit weird having the discussion. But when they sort of both realized that they both kind of want to use the power of Ethereum. So, you know, these guys are not building their own chain. They're still going to be using that, but you are harnessing the power of it that they aligned pretty quickly. So some kind of topics that I'd like to think about and why I think it's like a really interesting one to kind of talk about. For me, this is the first really big consolidation I've seen in the Web3 space. Um, and, you know, is that a good thing or a bad thing? You can kind of look at it either way. Um, this was a crazy space not so long ago with so much money thrown about. I think it was inevitable that some of these things were going to have to consolidate down and a few winners would emerge. This is perhaps the first time we've seen something like that. Um, or is it a bad thing that, you know, you only have a few power players that are going to kind of dominate this sort of nascent space where the dream was it to be all decentralized and there wasn't going to be a Netflix or an Apple or a Google that you had to be subservient to. And if you, <laughs> for those of you who are listening on Spotify, there's a lot of smiles and laughters in, amongst the panel right now. So that probably say perhaps what some of us feel. Um, I've got some more things to do, but let's start with that then and uh, before I go into other topics. So, so what do you think about this move? Um, I'll hand it over to you, Dave, actually. Um, I actually do think it was inevitable, and I, I do expect to see more. Um, you know, as you mentioned, we saw a huge amount of cash piled into uh, the Web3 ecosystem over the last little while. And uh, with the values dropping down to where, they've, where they have been, I think you will see a lot more consolidation. Um, do I think it's a good thing? Um, it, in many ways, I do. I think, you know, as you look at, uh, you know, the desire for interoperability, as you look at the desire for having that ability to transfer, uh, you know, uh, NFTs or funds or, or items between everything, it becomes a lot easier if you have a set of rules that everyone plays by. And if you've got, you know, 30 or 40 different uh, chains and uh, currencies and everything and trying to get everyone to play well together, that becomes a really, really big challenge when you've got so many different players with different perspectives and different ideas in terms of where they want to take the industry. Um, so I do think that you know having some a fewer number of players inside there will make things a little bit easier. Um, you know, will we ever get to that point where it's fully decentralized? Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if we will. <laughs> I think if you look even at the, you know, the ownership of the chains where a lot of the the tokens are are still within, you know, small groups of people that uh, even right now that that isn't the way that uh, the industry is playing out. But um, but yeah, I'm, I'm I'm still very interested to see how things go. I'm also curious to hear Devin's take on this. But maybe before that, I just have a couple like clarification questions that that maybe you guys know the answer to. And so when I was reading this, it seems very much that for Immutable's platform and tech stack, it's going to be leveraging Polygon's um, tech capabilities. But on the Polygon side, I wasn't clear if 
uh, just with its gaming ambitions? Is it essentially like fully pointing everyone to Immutable that it works with, or are teams still going to be able to build separately on it's Polygon? Separate. Or it's it's separately. separate. So Polygon, brand new okay. chain, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and then second, I was going to ask just uh, Anil, since you mentioned the kind of the token movements, um, whether like does anything really change like if you're using immutable like as a user and the tokens you have to use if they're now using polygon or do you still just use imx the same way or does it now throw the polygon matic token in or uh, like i mean that that's a great question that i don't 100 percent know the answer to why i wanted to raise it though is that at the time i remember when we we were shopping around is that imx part of the deal was you had to use their token as part of the ecosystem and that was kind of your payment so if some event like this happens and then completely out of your control you know now your treasury's dropped in a massive amount of value or your funding for your project that's extremely dangerous and i i think that this is like maybe for me a bit of a fear of like, I, I actually agree with dave i think that it, it it's not a bad thing at all actually that this has happened in the sense that i think some consolidation is good a few kind of people that have the right spirit i think will help the industry move further along in the long term but i do worry that like will people get burned early with things like this in an unfair way and that is kind of your question like i suppose a sort of different example many people use for example unity engine what if unity for example got bought by electronic arts would you still be able to use the engine like no one really knows and no one really thinks about it because it's too scary a proposition to really think through there's enough stuff that keeps you awake in the middle of the night without answering those questions but when things like this happen out of the blue that could be something that you know could those have an impact? I, I like you. I'm very curious to see what Devin has to say about it. But my understanding is is that no, it does not point you anywhere. There's two completely e- separate ecosystems, um, and they remain when it's just utilizing the technology. And my assumption is is because I think that Polygon did a really good job with Reddit in terms of using their kind of moons and NFTs. And given the scale that Reddit has. I think that's like the ultimate proof point that their tech does work on big scale and why it's like, well, look, do you want to risk making your own one where it could go wrong or do you want to just go with something that works? <clears throat> yeah, as the uh, the resident Web3 guy, this was like a, a pretty big deal to me. Like I, I found this, I obviously I've written a lot about both companies and dug into like a lot of what they did. And I found that the token drop actually kind of interesting because one of the parts of the announcement that's like buried a bit is the idea that this new chain will actually use IMX tokens as the gas fee uh, instead of Matic as the underlying thing. So like that should have actually driven the value up, I think, because now there's more utility for the IMX token. I mean, maybe it's like, hey, let's drive it down so gas is cheaper, I guess. I, I'm not sure what the uh, what the reason was. I, I got to imagine it was more of a, a response of like, oh, IMX is kind of like giving up on their own tech, on the Starkware stuff, as you guys mentioned, and maybe that's like a loss of, of confidence there to some extent. But I would actually be, if I was if I was shorting anyone's tokens, I would go more towards Polygon's more so because it looks, here's what it looks like to me is that Polygon and Immutable constantly fighting back and forth over games, bribing each other. Perfect example is Metalcore. It went from Immutable to Polygon. And according to their keynote, back to Immutable again. And it's like, they're just constantly fighting over custody of their kids like every five seconds. And I think I, I feel like what happened is Polygon looked at that and went, you know what? This is distracting us from building all of our infrastructure stuff. We're not just a game platform, whereas Immutable is a total gameplay. They're not trying to do the Reddit onboarding. I mean, they have the GameStop thing, which is, I guess, somewhat relevant, especially the ties between GameStop and Reddit uh, in some ways. And so like, I, I can understand why Polygon was just like, you know what? You guys take games. Like, 
this we're we're all, we got so many bigger fish to fry. You know, we've got Starbucks to deal with. We've got all these other things we need to be working on. Uh, because you, you see very different takes too. From um, you had uh, Ryan Wyatt talking in in their their panel they did, and then you had uh, Sandeep talking on a podcast on on Bankless's podcast, and you could t- Sandeep almost looked happy about it because he's like, oh, we get to just focus on infrastructure. Like that's what I want to do. I want to focus on the tech. Uh, and it's kind of funny because this is actually a big launch for them in a way since uh, the, their ZK EVM was only on a test net before. Like it hadn't hit a main net yet. So this is like a first big selling point for their tech to like get their tech out there for ZK EVM because we don't have a great mainstream ZK EVM. And uh, and like Immutable was pushing the ZK thing, but not fully compatible. Like they weren't, you weren't really doing like a lot of token stuff or anything on chain. It was all just like trade NFTs gasless. And that was like their only selling point. So I think this is this is a pretty big deal for for gaming if people adopt it. But I'm curious, Anil, yourself being a Web3 developer on Polygon, is this an attractive thing for you guys? Like, are you like, hey, baby, we should move over to this? To, to be totally honest, we're still trying to get our heads around it ourselves. Like that's that's the thing. What does it mean? I feel like the communication from both parties is pretty poor. If I'm being honest, I think that they should make it clear because these, like I say, can have sweeping changes. And, and what should it mean? And where does it stand? And you know, they say in the announcement, you know, IMX have got their great kind of passports of Web three sort of feature. And d- does that mean Polygon want us to use that or use our own thing or? Or what are the solutions? Because really, you know, what both platforms are trying to say is, you know, you just concentrate on making your game and you can rely upon our tech to, to do the heavy lifting, which is great. But then it's like, well, but we can't because we've got to keep changing our minds as to like which solution we're actually going to implement. So, um, yeah, I really want to take on this topic because I think it's really interesting already. Some great takes from, from the panel as to what it means. Um, I think we'll have to see what kind of comes out in the wash, as they say, as to where we go next with it. Um, I will say, to be fair, though, that we're built on Polygon. It does seem to be pretty stable for what we've used it for, which is certainly an improvement over some blockchains we've seen. So uh, we've been quite impressed so far. But I do think people need to get their message on. You know, maybe the question I would have just quickly is, you know, what does this really mean for IMX? I mean, is that now their, their major kind of feature is more just like the onboarding part? or um, Because I seem to remember that they that was one of the big things that they did it all ZK themselves in the past. So that's, um, I, unless my misunderstanding, misunderstanding, that's like a curious thing that like why that's no longer the play that they're using someone else for it. Yeah, and they just launched the uh, the Unity plugin as well. So you have to wonder, will that Unity plugin be updated for this new chain as well? Because like the current one, I can't imagine would work with this unless there's like already the features baked in and you just have to like switch somewhere in the settings. But it's pretty different, right? Because like, you're actually having to deal with your own potential smart contracts on the chain as opposed to the the existing Unity plugin, which was more of like, let's talk to a unit, the, the IMX API and let it handle stuff. So like that's, I mean, more control for the developer, but also more like that that plugin has to handle now. And they were all excited about how easy the onboarding was. And it's like, well, now do we have to like have a whole different thing? What's the launch date for this? Are they actually... I mean, they made it look like uh, possibly Metalcore might be a partner for this, but they didn't really announce like these games are going to this chain. And like, I, I do wonder if we'll have some some potential gamer confusion in the future about which chain they're playing on, which chain, like whatever. But I, also at the same time, like I think it'll be uh, obvious if you're if you're following the developers like that move over from Polygon that need the EVM part. Well, okay, obviously they're going to be on if they're moving to Mutable, it's going to be the ZK EVM one. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I guess from Bigger picture, my standpoint, I don't know exactly what it means for IMX or you know, there's still questions. And I think anytime there's a transition, you can look back and 
and be like, oh, maybe this should have been communicated a bit more clearly at this time or this, you know, the order of operations or speed of how certain things get integrated or said happens. But um, I don't know, just thinking big picture, even though this sparks a little bit of chaos and questions in the moment, it actually seems like it actually creates maybe a bit more stability, um, you know, down down the road and thinking longer term. So this is just sort of a hump. But like once the integrations are more set and the community views, especially like immutable as like more like the stop to go to, it seems um, it should, should, you know, <laughs> lead to much more clarity and ease of communication and less confusion down the road is sort of how I look at it. And really like, Props to Immutable for pulling this off <laughs> and, and really solidifying, you know, their their own ecosystem as like a leading contender here. And I mean, I, I sort of view that as, you know, they've already done a pretty good job through having raised quite a bit of money and being an early mover and like just building out multiple parts of their ecosystem and through BD landing partnerships. But I mean, at this point too, there's, I, I wouldn't say it's, you know, quite like in the free from competition or anything. It's still so early, so many other players, but having, you know, this level of scale and lead um, and just ability to reinvest <laughs> both in M&A and R&D, like it can keep that, keep advantages rolling for a while in a steadier state where companies don't have to think about who's leading, who's not, what's it going to be in six months or a year. Um, so, so to me, it seems like this is actually a pretty good step forward for the ecosystem as well, just in terms of more clarity. Yeah. Maybe it becomes just a lot easier now, like the to just decide which blockchain do I go with. Well it's like if I'm making an app, I go over to Polygon. If I'm making a game, I go over to to IMX and stuff. And now it's a lot easier and you can just focus back on the game and more less about the which I'm sure I know you probably went through that for a while. Like which blockchain are we going to build on and that back and forth and debate about that. It just I imagine it, that that's a long headache. Just take it out, especially since you have a choice of like, do, do I need like the EVM part? If I do, now I actually have an option for that, so I don't have to like, so, you know, sift through those. And I, I do imagine though that this is like Solana and Avalanche now just over in a corner crying at this point uh, <laughs> after this because this is like this is a pretty big blow to whatever momentum they they might have had. And at this point, like now it's like Solana is a discount NFT marketplace. And Avalanche is like, I guess if you want to roll some of your own stuff, uh, you know, like it's not, there's not a lot of uh, competition in a way now, but like at the same time, you know, hopefully decentralization still wins out. I know Robbie Ferguson certainly looked extremely happy and excited about all this. So I got to imagine like that's very bullish for them. So it is, it is funny to see the token drop uh, after, after all that, but maybe that's a short term thing. We see it raise back up. Well, you're implying that crypto degens actually do their own research and read the small print. Um, the <laughs> <laughs> They're just shorting their own stock. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of uh, expanding out and contracting at the same time, we got some new app stores for mobile. Want to dig into Aaron? Yeah, we'll see how this shakes up. So there's, you know, some rumblings out there of new mobile app stores and the works. And this topic maybe is a bit more hypothetical than usual, um, but it's seeming less and less far-fetched every day um, that there will be new app stores launched that may or may not be competitive in, in some ways, you know, launched from these, these big tech companies. Um, and, you know, for one reason why this is worth talking about and why these, these rumblings in the news are happening is because, you know, it's widely known at this point that app store practices are largely anti-competitive. And even though early attempts from 
Epic and elsewhere failed to generate outsized change. There is a slowly growing criticism among regulators that um, you know bits and pieces need to change, whether it's anti-steering rules, preferential treatment of first-party apps, or even just the nature of app stores um, themselves. And so, for example, the EU's Digital Markets Act um, is likely to play a notable role next year, uh, at least starting from the the, the EU and driving some notable change around creating more competition um, for for app stores. And largely because of this, uh, some other big tech companies are starting to act like sharks. They're, they're smelling the potential blood um, in, in the ocean, the opportunity for, for prey and are, you know, preparing their, their plan of attack. Um, and so, you know, we know that Epic Games now, according to Tim Sweeney, already has its mobile store ready. And they've stated their intention to, to build something that supports apps beyond games. We know very little, but that's, that's just what has been lightly thrown out there. Um, and then also, Microsoft has also stated that it hopes to launch its new app store for games as early as next year, especially if the Activision Blizzard deal goes through uh, this year. So anyways, I've just found this, uh, this, this topic pretty interesting just to think about how it could play out um, if other app stores are allowed to exist. Um, and so I, I'm curious just to throw it out to, to all of you. If regulatory actions did enable third-party app stores across iOS and Android, starting with the E's uh, DMA, do any of these new contenders actually pose a threat? Is there a path for them to succeed? Or is this largely just hand-wavy... Like it sounds great, but in reality, people will still just use, you know, the main Apple App Store and Google Play. What do you think? First off, uh, there already are other app stores. Uh, so if you think of it, you know, Amazon, Samsung, right. uh, Huawei, they all have their own app stores, and none of them have been able to really move the needle in terms of um, being able to take any sort of large market share away from Google Play Store. Um, now I think, uh, you know, probably what Epic and what Microsoft bring behind them, um, can probably bring a little bit more to bear than, uh, than what those other stores have to, to this point. And, you know, ideally bring some big name games to those stores to help attract people there. Um, but I think they're still going to have, you know, challenges in terms of moving people away from. Uh, a stores that are you know preloaded with the devices and B um, you know breaking people out of the habits in terms of where they go to look for games. Um, Epic, I think, uh, in terms of building out their own app store, they'll probably go to a similar playbook as they did with uh, when they were building out the Epic Store itself for uh, for games, um, and probably look at you know what are things that they can do to really entice. Um, Developers to want to come in, so from a, a rev share perspective, and from the from the consumer side, you know what kind of exclusives can they bring, or you know what can they do in terms of making exciting um, exciting launches and and, um, and giveaways for players uh, for users. Um, Microsoft, you know, hasn't necessarily seen the same success with their with their store um, as what uh, what Epic has been seeing more recently, as they battle against uh, Steam. So it will be, I think, interesting to see 
what Microsoft does uh, for store-wise and, and how successful they end up being in that regard. I was going to say, I mean, I think a lot of it depends on execution, but I think there is a huge opportunity here. I think what it reminds me of a little bit is that I remember back in the 90s, the PlayStation, if you remember, was originally going to be an add-on for the Super Nintendo. It was going to be a CD drive. And then the two companies fell away and Sony just said, we'll do it ourselves and we'll be successful. And Super and you know, Nintendo were like, you have no understanding of this market. There's no way you can succeed. And Sony said, hold my beer or sake because they're a Japanese company and they executed. And the way that they did that is because on Nintendo, you had to pay the fee to develop the cartridge and kind of the cartridge royalty fee that Nintendo collected. Whereas Sony said, we've got a CD drive, so you don't have to pay more than $1 to print the CD. So you're going to get more... Uh, as a developer or a publisher than you would. And everyone flocked to them based on those kind of promises. So I think if you look at the app stores, it's a kind of recurring theme on Navic, how they're pretty bad in the sense that they don't really offer discovery. They're not really serving any kind of platform to help people. So you could actually argue they're a barrier rather than a help at this current moment in mobile. So I think that there is an opportunity of the execution is if a new app store comes on, they have a smaller royalty rate. So let's say it's 10% rev share rather than the 30% cut that they're getting right now. And they're able to really push new titles and demonstrate that with some kind of loss leading marketing or things like that to get people over there. I think it could work. And I think another reason why I think it could work is that how do people even discover these things in the first place? It's actually not typically through these stores. That it's, it's more through you know performance marketing or outside channels and you click a link that then takes you through and there might be a few more steps involved, but you could get it that way. So all that putting into context, I think if the execution is there, it's definitely ripe for massive disruption and it could be something to take a piece of the pie. I would be more excited, I think, for, for Microsoft's one over Epic. Epic Store, I think, was really good on PC. They tried hard, you know, give you free games and stuff like that, but no one really made any sizable revenue from there. Not anyone I know, at least. So it didn't really get there. I feel why Microsoft may succeed is they having bought all these heavy-duty IPs and they're just about to get a whole ton more of them. That's going to get attention. Like if you've got your Call of Duty, if you've got your Blizzard games and you've got to go to this store, I mean, how did Steam pull it off on the PC to begin with, right? It was, you have to have like one Half-Life 2, you've got to, got to install Steam, right? And People, yeah, people put up with it and that's where we are right now. Do I think it will happen? Too early to say. But I think that it, it seems to me like it's a, uh, that this has been planned for a long time. I'd even go as far as saying that's probably the reason why they even went ahead with that, the, the Activision Blizzard merge. You know, a lot of them were saying that the King and their, you know, uh, stuff on mobile was a big reason why they wanted to do it. So you're taking some pretty big players i think over to you to make people move over let's see but i i think that um they may be successful with it i think they'll start to make some inroads in it yes it seems like gaming is really the only main possible wedge (laughs) where something (laughs) could be could be pulled off here yeah and it might not even stem from like mobile first games that are able to be that wedge and instead like you know the benefit with microsoft is they they're, they view their future as like being truly cross-platform across all of their games, across their cloud capabilities, across their subscription itself. And, you know, I mean, that's still tens of millions of subscribers, some of which, you know, might be, you know, willing to, to try this out and just kind of seed the platform. I have a harder time saying, you know, if the Activision Blizzard deal goes through, like, how does a Candy Crush, like, really, like, be, like, really 
practically shift over and to like a new platform and work. Like it, it will probably exist on both if that were the case, but it's not going to be a reason to to really shift over and and bring a massive audience with it. I would think that could be I could be wrong. They want to <laughs> they want to be really gutsy in the actions that they they take. Who knows? Um, but but yeah, I mean Microsoft probably is the most interesting to me from the standpoint of it has a ton of content. It has a like a, a strategy and mission and tech stack that supports crossplay in, in a way that's unique and interesting that you can't really get elsewhere. Um, they have also more of like a proven ad tech <laughs> stack within Microsoft too that could probably play some kind of role in being integrated in in the games or the app store and you know facilitate discovery or ads of, of some type um, here that's interesting. Um, and yeah, I mean, they also just have a competitive budget. They have a lot of money that they could probably be willing to to burn for a while and play the play the long game. I mean, I'm sure Epic would think similar similarly, but they don't have the balance sheet of a Microsoft to be able to to go really hard in all of these different directions, these different loss leading directions um, at the same time and last over time. So yeah, I'm curious. I have a really hard time seeing how like beyond games how, how how other app stores would really shift you know you know get spun up or shift over or something like that but i don't know maybe there's a world where if if microsoft is able to succeed and bring over tens of millions of of gamers that it could start to you know also creep out its you know circle of of what it offers um and to more productivity tools or or who knows um but yeah, it's interesting. I, I still don't know how optimistic I really am on any of this truly breaking through because network effects are really tough to break. We already kind of talk, talked about this a bit with Twitch earlier, who was in, you know, you could say a weaker position, but the network effects held up a lot stronger than people thought. Whereas in this case, at Apple in particular, but also Google Play, like they are the giants with the the giant network effects. They're just going to be really hard to to break. And it'll be hard for consumers to really want to make a switch unless they have a super obvious reason to, which is not going to be most people probably. But yeah, interesting to think about. What do you think, Dave? Um, so the, the one thing I think that uh, is a bit of a challenge for Microsoft is the regulatory environment right now. So if you look at, yes, Microsoft's got you know a huge war chest, but if Microsoft went in and said, hey, you know what? If you come and play just in our backyard, We'll give you, you know, huge discounts. We'll do all sorts of things for you as a developer and as for a player. I think there would be a lot of people then starting to uh, make some noises about, hey, Microsoft is throwing around their weight too much. Whereas if Epic, you know, did something similar, I think most people would say, well, Epic's just a small team, so you know, they can go ahead and do that. There's no no challenge with that. Um, but yeah, I, I do think Epic is going to have some challenges in terms of, you know, you can do a nice discount on a PC game. You could take 25% off. You can't take 25% off a game that's for free. Um, so, the, you know, that's that's going to be obviously a huge challenge. And in terms of moving people around, um, mobile game develop or mobile game players are very, very hard to move. Uh, so, you know, games that have tried to do sequels as an example of move from one game to another, I've found it very, very challenging to move people. And if you think of all the people that have spent all their time building up, uh, you know, their Candy Crush levels inside, uh, you know, the, the iOS version of the game, 
they're not going to move over to Microsoft. They're not going to move over to Epic no matter what. They've built up way too much time and energy and, and potentially money into those games. So, you know, wanting to move from one platform to another is uh, you're just you're just not going to be able to move those players. So it really is about all those new players that you can try and attract in. Um, so I, I don't know if it's necessarily Candy Crush. It may be like the next games that King brings out that really is the thing that helps them move into uh, into a new store. Well, it's funny too, because Candy Crush uh, actually came with Windows 10 for a while. I assume it still does. So it's like, it's really? not like uh, there wasn't already... I mean, I got to imagine Microsoft's got some stats on that, on whether or not like they saw people actually playing that on desktop, the way that, you know, their solitaire collection is their other thing they try and push, right? Uh, and maybe they were seeing it as like, this is like the alternative to solitaire. Because it kind of is the mobile... I mean, not truly an alternative, right? Because Solitaire does pretty well on mobile still too. But uh, but I thought it was kind of interesting that Anil brought up the um, the the whole Sony uh, to Nintendo thing because Microsoft uh, kind of went through that like just dumping money uh, into Xbox to make it happen. But they've also had like monumental failures on their own app stores previously, uh, their own devices. You know, you've got like the the Windows Phone, the Zune, all these other things that they tried to do to try and pick that up. Even I, I can't even imagine the Windows Store has like the level of adoption that they want. And that's baked into the operating system and like pretty much the only competitor, quote unquote, on the operating system. So it's like, this is it's an interesting position, I think, for Microsoft to be in, given all those other factors. Plus the idea that Aaron was kind of teasing that like uh, you go from being like uh, fighting these regulatory bodies, considering you a monopoly with the, the Call of Duty pick to suddenly being the savior of breaking up the Apple-Google duopoly by being the alternative, it's like, which are they? Are they are they friend or foe to the regulators at this point? It's it's a very interesting position for Microsoft to be in, but I'm sure whatever it is, they'll spend tons of money on it, uh, and and succeed or fail, money will be spent. So hopefully, people could get in on it. Maybe it'll be like the the Netflix kind of thing, like Dave was saying earlier, where like you know, just maybe, hey, it's a something we can get some guaranteed revenue on if they're willing to like 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 the epic deal give us some sweetheart thing to get in on this like maybe it's just a good way for some initial studios to build up like it's an opportunity here to ride that wave whether or not it uh, crashes on the beach or keeps going it's a wave but uh we've got uh, another pretty interesting web3 here uh, we're not we're not trying, trying to turn into the crypto corner but gdc actually had some good web3 announcements <laughs> and uh, we've got a big one from ccp the makers of eve online uh, with a big 40 million uh, from from Mr. Moneybags A16Z uh, for a Web3 game. Uh, absolutely, yes. So um, thank you for stealing my lead-in. Uh, but CCP did announce 40 million. Uh, so along with A16Z, obviously there were a number of other uh, contributors to that uh, to that raise. So Makers Fun, Bitcraft, uh, Nexon, interestingly, especially since Nexon also announced that they are um, bringing in the world of NFT into uh, into one of their products. Um, so I mean, we all know that Eve Online, uh, the the flagship game for CCP, has been around for uh, almost twenty years. I think their anniversary is in a couple of months, um, and it famously has been you know one of those games that gets called out whenever you're talking about what is a successful game economy looks like. You know, this is a, a game that has seen incredible uh, wars inside the game, uh, seen incredible movement by the players, um, you know, players playing a wide variety of roles, 
Um, and you know, you've seen uh, you know huge amounts of money move inside the game, get lost inside the game. Um, but in terms of like an economy, it's something that you know a lot of people have been able to point to and say this is something that they've done right. And I think as you look at some of the challenges inside uh, a lot of crypto games, NFT games right now is that how do you maintain, how do you build and maintain a successful economy so that players do feel like if they're going in, they're spending their money, um, that they're going to have that uh, long-term, uh, you know, good feeling, good experience and that, um, you know, if they're going in, they're, Putting in, you know, the equivalent of, uh, I think there was an estimation to build up one of the capital ships is like the equivalent of like eight thousand or nine thousand dollars. That that is something that's going to be maintained as a value point throughout. Um, now, what the money is being spent towards is not uh, uh, directly inside Eve Online. It is for a game that is separate from Eve Online. Uh, or any of the other products that they have in development. So it is operating uh, entirely by itself, at, at least for the moment. So you're not really going to see it as uh, an, oppor- an opportunity to see interoperability where, you know, you buy a ship in one EVE Online Universe game and be able to transfer that into another EVE, uh, Eve uh, title. Um, but it definitely will be interesting to see how they are able to balance that economy when uh you know the eve online is much more of a closed economy the value that comes into the game stays inside the game um for me one of the other interesting bits outside of you know being able to see if this is a successful economy based around blockchain and and nfts is this game uh, according to the announcement from uh from ccp is that they're going to be allowing uh, a truly open third-party development uh, to create a relationship between worlds and players uh, in their quote. And for me, this really is an interesting thing that they're they're really kind of offering like two chances that uh, disruption in terms of how they build up their economies and one, uh, you know, have the ability to have monies flowing in and out of the economy. But two, you also now have other people coming in and building upon uh, you know, the, the Eve Web3 tech stack and, and experience. And what does that actually feel like? So, um, you know, you, we may actually see a, a, what um, that, uh, that ability to have different people building different things expand much farther beyond what we've ever seen before. You know, Second Life has seen people that were able to spend, you know, their entire in-game career building furniture for other people. Well, what does that actually look like? You know, you know, is someone come in and say, "Hey, it would be really cool if, um, you know, in the first-person shooter, everyone would be able to actually drive around in cars." Well, I'm going to build those cars now, not CCP. I'm going to build those cars, bring them into the game, and start. You know, I'll have my Dave's Car Shop dealerships. You know, throughout the game, people can buy cars. Um, it, for me, it, it certainly is an interesting. Um, I don't know if I'd say an experiment. $40 million is a lot of money to spend on an experiment. Um, but it, for me, it's certainly going to be an interesting sandbox for for people to play in. And, and uh, I, I am interested to see how it actually all turns out. Yeah, the one other interesting part of this deal that I, I picked up on that I just wanted to call out before we talk more about the, the Web3 elements of this is that um, the investment is 
focused on the game project itself. It's not actually an investment in CCP games or Pearl Abyss. And um, you don't see that very often. And, and, you know, on one hand, I can kind of understand why they're separating these two things. I don't really know what this new game exactly is or how similar or different it will be from EVE Online. So it's kind of hard to say. But on the other hand, it just kind of, it's just kind of weird. Like, how did, like, what does an exit opportunity look like for a game in the same universe, uh, like inside a company that is in charge of that universe? Um, I, <laughs> I have, I have no idea, okay. like, well, what the end that, game is. That that's a great question. That hints at some kind of token liquidity, right? It's something that you can exit faster, or perhaps it's a, another one I've seen recently is that people take a share in revenues of any marketplace or daily transactions that are made thereon. And, you know, if you see the amount of player-to-player transactions that are done on the existing EVE, that could be extremely lucrative. But that kind of leads into a question I kind of had around this because I'm sort of surprised that they had to raise the money um, because whilst 40 million isn't like a trivial amount of money, I mean, my understanding is it's a pretty profitable company that they made like 80 million last year alone and sure they have a big team and it's going to cost them and etc etc but they don't really market eve much compared to other games i know they did a big push on it sort of maybe 10 years ago to sort of really see if they could break it but they sort of found that eve is a game that is like a niche audience but the niche spends and they retain for life so you don't really need to worry and it's like the definition of a cash cow that you can leave going so why they felt to do this um especially with the people that you've mentioned in the format. One thing I would say around the, um, the the kind of separate entity and things like that is that does mean from a kind of legal standpoint, it can be a bit cleaner because otherwise if you have to do a sort of like, you know, offshore entity or things like this, depending on the sort of assets, there's still a lot of regulation that isn't in place in a lot of the European Union and European countries. So perhaps they're just protecting themselves those ways. But um, yeah, I think it is. It, to me, that hints that there will be some kind of a, other liquidity, especially the sort of companies that have backed it. <laughs> They're not going to back it if if they have to wait for a kind of exit or whatever. But I do wonder why they they couldn't just do it themselves. Or is this them sort of saying, look, we know how to build the game and economy, but the actual sort of Web3 side, we need some advice from. That'd be my speculation on it anyway. I, I'm not sure if it actually is uh, investment only inside the game. The way that I read uh, was that it was an investment in CCP, okay. but the funds were being directly earmarked for a particular game. So I don't know that it's been actually defined as a separate entity. I think it's still inside the the overall CCP. Maybe. The investment is focused on the game project itself. So this means that the new investors did not acquire a stake in CCP games or in its parent company, Pearl Abyss. So I don't know if if they were off or who knows. Um, But but I guess we, we won't know probably for sure for quite a while. But yeah, I think Anil might be might be right yeah. that maybe this will get converted into like token <laughs> ownership or something. And like this game, like the ownership of the game will be through tokens and more community run in the same, in, in a way that maybe like an alternative EVE Online could be owned by the EVE world of of players and contributors and stuff. Um, I don't know. We'll see. But but yeah, the other part of this that I thought was really interesting that you hit on a bit, Dave, was the composability part um, because I think Eve online it has a like mm-hmm. Eve has an API that has enabled players to build some really interesting things I'm not I'm not an Eve online player myself so I don't know in in detail but um, it seems really really interesting and compelling and so but to be able to do that in more of a, a blockchain setting where composability 
you know, building on top of like whatever the game is set on the whatever blockchain it uses, being able to um, unlock UGC in new ownership and economic driven ways. That just feels so core to what EVE Online has been. And again, I don't know what this game even is and how much like EVE Online it'll be, but just based on what they have built in the past, it seems like an exceptionally good fit here compared to many other places where we've seen you know, announcements like that been made in the past. And I think from an, uh, an audience fit, it fits a lot better. Um, you know, I have a, a much easier time seeing NFTs inside the EVE universe than I do inside a casual game. As, as you know, some of the, the uh, Web3 announcements have been these days around casual side of things. Um, and so I, I do think that it will be a, an easier fit uh, for a, a today audience down the road, it certainly be able to go <clears throat> more mass market. But I think today it fits uh, a lot cleaner inside the an Eve audience. At least they've got a lot of economists on staff already, right? For from Eve that should hopefully be able to help figure this out. Whereas you know a lot of other companies have to kind of ex- hire external people or figure it out themselves. Um, they've got the experience. I'm not saying it all directly translates, but they they do have that experience. But Eve is so, as you mentioned, Dave, not totally open. Compared to this, whereas like I, I got to imagine this might attract maybe a more predatory audience, uh, depending on the type of game and stuff that's like looking to make money out of it. Like, because you can kind of make money in a way by playing Eve, but but not really, right? Like, that's not the main incentive. Uh, like, it's more the play money within the environment. Like, you can you can make money there, but like, cashing it out is really difficult. Like, you can get free playtime, you know, through their Plex and stuff like that. But I got to imagine it's gonna be something that might even pull new players in to their to their world that are interested in maybe extracting value depending on how they set it up or maybe just like uh maybe they'll even have a different theme and maybe suddenly they'll actually expand their audience but i do got to imagine regardless of like who's being invested in directly at the end of the day this is just expanding the gdp of iceland probably by double <laughs> <at this point. laughs> since since we know that that that, co- that company is basically iceland at this point uh employing probably half the country but you know, this is a pretty big deal. I mean, if if it is inoperable and like you know, it does expand to like having other things. Like for example, you know, would you would you be like, hey, let's let's have some some Blast Royale characters in, integrated into this and that kind of thing? Like, is this an opportunity that like may be exciting to Web three developers to be part of this type of environment? Perhaps. I mean, I was we were all kind of rushing to talk. That was kind of funny about this topic. I, I was going <laughs> to say that I feel with if when I first found out about blockchain technology and its use in gaming. My immediate thought was if there was one studio in the world that should definitely be making a Web3 game, it was CCP because it, they've already proven it. Like that's maybe World of Warcraft is the second one, but I feel even more so Eve if you're aware of the nuances or the specifics of that game. So I think it's kind of like a, a really obvious thing. And I'm sure that anyone that could possibly invest in them would have done for, for the same reason. Like, you know, if, if they can't get it to work, then who can? I think it's quite as straightforward as that, but you could be confident on the tech, the economy, the audience wanting to do that and all that. In terms of the interoperability, it's kind of a niche, you know, space, isn't it? I could see perhaps other sci-fi games and things being interesting, but um, I'd be pretty, I'd be excited myself to see what they can do with it. I think this will be something that you just know is going to get some great use cases. And, you know, when you hear, I don't know if you heard this like crazy story, how, you know, have you have different sort of alliances and guilds within Eve. And how one guy actually got a job working for someone in real life 
for two years working for an enemy clan and he was like a secret agent the whole time and he basically <laughs> right at the end gave them all these details and they did like 10 million US dollars worth of damage to their entire fleet and of course he got sacked but he was an absolute hero <laughs> from the actual alliance that he was working for like this is legitimate things that go on so I think for things like that, it will be amazing. All of that, all on the ledger, all immutable, kind of secure, um, whatever they make should be great. And uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised as well if they create more, sort of more use cases that other people can tie into and go forward. And I think having like a developer like that coming into Web3 is like a real kind of stamp of approval as well that like, okay, this is like someone seriously who you know can execute and they're going to make something good in it. And uh, that makes me excited to someone who's developing in it because it's still got, you know, bad rep uh, for the right reasons, I would say. You know, you can't really condone some of the activity. So maybe a bit of a sellout answer for you there. <laughs> yeah, I've been reading um, Empires of Eve, uh, which is a book. It's a two-part book series that like chronicles the history of, of <laughs> Eve Online, but like the like inside the game of Eve Online, like like tracking like the different characters and factions and you know all the all the wars that went on. And it's insane like to to just see like it really is like a real history that's been taking place inside of this game. And like to your to your point, Devin, about like, you know, if you make it real money, will people exploit the system somehow and try to, you know, profit from it? Like I think that works so perfectly into like the the hands of like what this empire is trying to do, which is you know, or what Eve generally has done, which is like it's all these factions and empires trying to exploit each other in mm-hmm. any way possible to get advantages in the wars that they're happening across the universe. And obviously, you know, there probably are some 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 caveats that you would want to put on that in in real life if you're actually working with real money, but. You can let it play out, I think, to a pretty extreme degree in this this kind of ecosystem compared to to anywhere else. And so, you know, I, I've said it like three times. We don't even know what this game is or how similar it will be to Eve Online. But um, but yeah, thinking it through, it is exciting to see. I'm I'm very excited to see where this goes. And even just thinking what like the ARPU on a game like this oh could be, God. it'll be pretty astronomical if if they do a good job developing it well, well imagine the secondaries on it i mean that's going to be huge or you know <laughs> yeah, with sure. it all being on the ledger there will be characters that are created in year one and by year 20 you can look through its history and you'll be like oh my god it was like you know look at all this cool stuff that they did and you know owning that particular thing is really going to mean something to someone and that you've got this like really open world flexible game system that has allowed these real things is it is basically it's blockchain games before the blockchain was available that's how i think of eve so just plugging that in is like the most obvious move ever yeah and not even like just the characters like just think of the like the capital ships being able to go through this capital ship was in the battle of 2023 (laughs) and also in sector 911 won the battle through its final volley like the stories that you're able to have captured around all of the components inside there, um, you know, really becomes that much more open and being able to be built upon and, and you know, at the same time, be able to say, Hey, I, I own a piece of history. You know, here's the, here's my ball that uh, Babe Ruth hit. And here's my capital ship that won the battle inside Eve web three. I do got to wonder then uh, to, to to something that Aaron mentioned, like if we see 
a shift in policy because, uh, you know, Eve's kind of famous for, you know, whatever happens, happens kind of thing. If you're not hacking, then whatever you do goes, right? It's Wild West by policy, which is something that you just generally don't see in any multiplayer game, right? It's like its own unique beast. But the question is, does involving real money or financialized assets deeper into a game suddenly change that? Do, do they have to go like, well, we have to make certain exceptions here? Or do they go, hey, code is law on the blockchain too, you know, like it's its own Wild West, as long as like the, the things weren't exploited in some way, like the smart contracts weren't exploited, then hey, that's, you know, that, that's how it goes. Uh, and, and like, if this attracts more bad actors, then because they can potentially like that dude that embezzles all that money out of that company, right, that works for that and does that big heist actually gets to cash that out in real life in some way. And dude just ends up like buying his own island off of like embezzling money from a giant virtual corporation. Like that seems like that could get really messy in an interesting way from our point of view, I think. But uh, as a company, I got to imagine they've got to be pretty wary of like, do we have to change our stance here? Like that wasn't originally even their stance, like the whole like Wild West thing. They just kind of like decided to do that along the story of Eve. And uh, it's, it seems like this is not like maybe even an inflection point for, Web3 in general, if this is something that takes off, because as you, as we've all mentioned, like Eve is like one of the games that's always mentioned uh, alongside like Diablo and CSGO as like games that are like bring something to Web3 or bring ideas for these economies. Like we, I think regardless of whatever they do, we're all going to be watching it. Right. But it's, I don't, I don't know how far off this even is. Like, is this something that's like, okay, well they just got the investment money. It's like, cool. Well, that was this like, 10 years off from now, like, because it's going to take forever to design and build it out. And Web3 games are not, I mean, maybe I'm wrong on this to know, but I don't think Web3 games are faster to build than Web2 games. Like, I think maybe slower. a little bit slower. <laughs> so, slow. I, yeah. I, I don't think you'll see this five years. No, right. That's, that's a developer as well, that they're not going to rush it. They're absolutely not going to. I don't know if you remember, they actually did try to make a mobile version of Eve at one point as well. I don't think it ever passed the software. So door, they did but, actually have it out, yeah. it's a, it's, but it was done by NetEase. So they basically oh, really? outsourced okay. it. And it's actually pretty okay. close to the main game. Okay. okay. Is that still out now, is it? Yeah, I believe so. But it's okay. like, but again, they outsourced kind of like they said, like sure. you have access to all our data and stuff, but like you're going to build the client and all that. I was going to say, I don't, I remember they didn't rush it, put it that way. Right. So I don't think, I, I wouldn't expect to see this before 2030, if I'm being honest, but it'll probably be good when <laughs> it does finally come. Yeah. And I think that actually does point to the, you know, why did they need to nah. raise $40 million? Yeah. It is, I mean, it's a big tech stack and it's a lot of people. Um, like, it's not like EVE Online is a content light game. There's a lot of stuff you need to build for that game. Um, so I, you know, that $40 million may go <laughs> sooner than they actually want it to go. Maybe they'll use some AI tools to help build it out, right? That'll be the part of that investment is an AI tooling <laughs> for a lot of that, like for not necessarily procedural generation, but like, you know, some AI generation of a lot of content or something. I mean, again, we don't know what the theme is, but we got to imagine they're not going to stray too far from their their wheelhouse. Like, you know, if the main audience of of Eve like absolutely loves that stuff and there's such a huge, massive, well, not massive, like in in scale, but in quality of like ability to keep these people for life, why would you want to stray that far from me? For like, you'd want to be like, well, like let's monetize our core audience and maybe bring in some new people. But like, you you know your audience well. But they've they've had missteps in the past where they've like wanted to expand out on stuff like the World of Darkness stuff they were going to do. 
Uh, and they just kind of didn't. And then like all those other sort of like tie-in spin-off things that they were going to do to Eve that didn't really work out. As Anil said, they, they didn't even really like develop the the mobile one themselves. Like they couldn't really, I, I kind of worry that they, oh, it's almost like they needed the 40 million to, to create a second like company within the company to build this stuff so they could still have their main focus on Eve. Because even like Eve Valkyrie, the um, the the VR game like has been sunset because they just didn't want to support it anymore. Like they're not great at multitasking, I guess, put it that way. But I think they do have two other games in development. Exactly, still. in development still. In addition, <laughs> it's like inside the EVE Online. So this is, yeah, so this would be at least, you know, uh, the third new game. Yeah, that that is a fair comment from Devin, though, that they are a studio that you've got to say that, okay, they've made this phenomenal hit, but they have not done a second one. Second album syndrome, right? And, you know, that <laughs> might be a bit unfair, but I mean, there are a lot of devs in that situation. Like, I don't know, look at, for example, you know, Notch made Minecraft, right? Then he made like some game called The Scrolls or something like that, which I understand was even quite decent, but it's like, you know, it's hard to get lightning in a bottle twice, right? Um, and yeah, so maybe you are right. It's just another company within the company and then they can just concentrate on their baby, but still explore this kind of new space. Um, but I don't want to be down on them. I, mean, I, I say it genuinely. I think this is something I would really look forward to seeing. Like, ah, uh, this is like someone who should be making a blockchain game. So I really can't wait. Just probably have to wait a long time for it. <laughs> yeah. Stick me in the freezer for about five or 10 years so I can just <laughs> wake up and, and play it, right? I don't want to have to wait <laughs> with, with, with us not even knowing any details. But uh, speaking of those uh, those kind of big three games that we talk about with uh, with blockchain, there was one of them, I don't think it was blockchain-related announcement, but did have an announcement uh, during the time that we were recording this. So we look forward to, I imagine, talking about that next week. Uh, but I want to thank everyone for for showing up today, Dave, Enel, Aaron. Uh, great roundtable, great discussion, and uh, very excited to, to dig into some more and some more GDC meet next week. If you enjoyed today's episode, whether on YouTube or your favorite podcast app, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, or give a five-star review. And if you want to reach out or provide feedback, shoot us a note at podcast at novic.co or find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Plus, if you want to learn more about what Novic has to offer, make sure to check out our website, www.novic.co. There, you can sign up for the number one games industry newsletter, Novic Digest, level up your insights with our premium research platform, Novic Pro, or contact us to learn about our wide-ranging consulting and advisory services. Again, that is www.novic.co. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.